Last week, if you were with us, we learned about Hope's vision. A vision has been defined by some as a picture of the future that produces passion. And the picture that God has given us is that of Matthew's house. The day after Matthew encounters the welcome of Jesus. So we asked last week, what would you see if you were there in that house? And three things would be impossible to ignore as Matthew records it in his gospel. It would be impossible to ignore Jesus as the guest of honor. It would be impossible to ignore changed lives, especially Matthew, the tax collector. And it would be impossible to, to ignore gospel hospitality. What is the first impulse that Matthew has as a new believer, as a new follower of King Jesus? It's to cook a meal and to invite his friends and to invite Jesus along too. And so that's our vision, and this week we will learn about the mission of hope. So before we do that, join me in praying together. Lord, with the words of my mouth and with the meditation of all of our hearts, be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. And Lord, open not just our minds, but the eyes of our hearts, uh, so that we would see wonderful things. From your word, that we would see you, Jesus, from your word. And we ask this in your name. Amen. As you many of you know, my family takes vacations in the month of July to a small lake cottage in Michigan. In fact, my wife and my three boys are there as I preach. And what I do when I'm there is I love to wake up in the morning. And I love to swim across that lake. And so what do I do is I, I stand up on the dock. It's a small dock. I, I sort of do my stretching, you know. I, I pretend I'm Michael Phelps. And then I put my goggles on. I place my head straight across to the, to the other beach, to the other uh, place that I want to go. And I do one of those shallow dives. And I just go for it. But inevitably, as I start swimming, I drift. No matter how hard I try, I'm always drifting. And it's annoying because it wears me out. The, the path is about twice as long that way. And also it stops the momentum. Peter Greer and Chris Horst used the word drift when describing the mission of any organization. They call it mission drift. It's when an organization stands on dock puts on their goggles, points its head toward their destination, does a shallow dive, but over time, they start drifting. And this can especially happen in a church, in a community of Jesus. We may have a well-defined mission, but over time, we can start to drift. And so I think it's absolutely vital for us, especially the launch of hope, to define that mission. And then as we continue, not just months ahead, not just years ahead, but decades ahead, revisit this mission. First, we need to know what it is. So what is the mission? When praying about this, I wanted our mission to be... Three things. I wanted it first to capture the mission of God as we encounter it in the Bible. Could our mission somehow capture the mission of God in the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation? The Bible is, after all, the story of God's mission. 
to fix all that is broken with the world. My mentor in seminary used to define the story of the Bible in nine words. God made it, we broke it, and Jesus fixes it. Or in the words of my uh, children's uh, Jesus Storybook Bible, it's the story of God's rescue mission. That's what this is. This is the story of God's rescue mission. And what's astounding about God's rescue mission is that he summons a group of misfits and mess-ups, and he invents a group called the church, and he says, you guys are going to carry out that rescue mission by my power. And that's amazing. And so from the Old Testament to the New, to the picture we have of that final chapter, which is in some ways the first chapter, we see the church carrying out God's mission by simply extending what they have received. There is a rhythm or a pattern to God's people, which is receiving and then extending. And so even at the very beginning in creation, we were called to extend God's name and His beauty and His goodness. Like mirrors, we were meant to receive it and then reflect it like the waters cover the oceans. But we sinned and then we started reflecting our own glory and that's ugly. And we know it's ugly. We don't have to live long to know this world is broken and things are not the way they're supposed to be. But what's beautiful is that God does not give up on us. He doesn't give up on his creation. And so he calls to himself a people. He calls them Israel. And these folks were called to extend the blessings of God to the nations. You are blessed to be a blessing. They receive and then they extend. And then we hear Jesus at the end of Matthew commissioning his disciples to go and to extend what they received from him. Receive, extend, receive, extend, receive, extend. Like what I like to think of it is cup pipes, not cups. My kids, they play in the bathtub and they have water pipes. I think of God's people as pipes. We receive and then we give. We're not cups. We don't just take it. We don't just take it for ourselves and sit on our hands. We give out what we receive from God. That's the pattern of God's mission for us in the Bible. So I wanted it to capture that. I also wanted our mission to be simple. I wanted it to just be simple. I wanted you to be able to, when you're walking uh, with your neighbor, talking to your kids, going to work, I wanted you to just be able to recall it and to know what is the mission of the church of which I'm a part. And thirdly, I wanted it to be comprehensive. So... The mission needs to be simple, but not simplistic. I want it to cover a lot of bases. What good is having a mission if it cuts out so much of God's heart for what it is to be his church? And so what is it? So what is the mission? Well, you've heard it before. It's been on my lips for a long time. Hope's mission is to extend the welcome of Jesus. That's our mission. To extend the welcome of Jesus. And I think this mission embodies these three things. I think it reflects God's mission. I think it's simple. And I think it's comprehensive. As we'll see over the next three weeks, we're going to ask questions about this mission. Like, what is the welcome of Jesus? What do you mean by that? Who receives it? And how do we extend it? And so for the next three weeks, we'll be asking those questions. Today, we'll just answer the first. What is the welcome of Jesus? And the welcome of Jesus is two things that must be held together. 
The welcome of Jesus is truth and grace. Truth and grace. So let's look at each in turn, but more importantly, let's look at each together. To extend the welcome of Jesus is to ask, how does Jesus welcome us? And to see him welcoming us with truth and grace. Jesus welcomes us with truth. And so if you have your Bible still in your hands, turn with me to Mark, the Gospel of Mark. Chapter 1, verse 14. Mark comes right after Matthew. We've been turning to Matthew for a long time, so that should be well-worn in your Bibles. And just go to the next Gospel book, which is Mark, and turn to the first chapter, starting in verse 14. If you have a red Bible, you'll find that on page 836. And there I want you to see how Jesus welcomes us with truth. Verse 14. Now after John, that's John the Baptist, was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is Jesus' first sermon when he is entering into ministry, and what does he do? But he proclaims the gospel. It says the gospel a couple of times in this summary of what he's doing, which means good, here's the important word, news. Jesus comes proclaiming, proclaiming news, news, not establishing a new moral code, not making a new and improved religion of the day, but Proclaiming news, something that is happening outside of the people, something that has happened outside of you, something that has happened outside of your preferences, quite apart from your moral track record, whether good or bad. Something happened. This past week, I don't know if you're addicted to Twitter like me, but this past week there was actually a redemptive aspect to that addiction because there was a great trend. I don't know if you were a part of this trend, but people were sharing their first news event that they remember as a child. Like the first big news event that they remember as a child. Do you remember this? I mean, right now you might think of something. Mine was sadly, I think, sadly, maybe not sadly. It was a big deal. It was the OJ chase. <laughs> remember that? The OJ chase. I mean, I know things happened before in my lifetime, but that was the first thing I remembered on the news. Others shared JFK's assassination. Some folks shared the Challenger explosion. Some 9-11. But in all of these, something happened and we didn't get a vote on whether we wanted it to happen or not. We were, in other words, forced to come to terms with the news event. Major news events are non-ignorable. And Jesus is saying here in Mark chapter 1, verse 14, that his welcome is non-ignorable. It is a confrontation. Because the good news is good news about a king. And so he begins his welcome with a challenge to change allegiances from false kings And to place our allegiance on the true king. The time is fulfilled, he says. And the kingdom of God, the reign of God is at hand. It's right in front of you. It's me. I am the gospel. Jesus is the good news. Jesus is the event that happened outside of your moral failures. 
Jesus is the event that happened outside of your good moral behavior. Jesus is the event that happened whether you liked it, asked for it, or not. And you have to come to terms with Jesus. He's frustratingly binary here. He's, are you in or are you out? Are you with me or are you not with me? There is no neutrality with Jesus. He's the king. Or he's a rejected king in your heart. And so, he says, repent and believe. And that's really just one thing. To repent is to turn, but we don't ever turn into a vacuum, do we? We turn to something else. So our allegiance is on king, fill in the blank. And we turn our allegiance and suddenly our allegiance is on king Jesus. That's repentance and belief. It's one movement. It's one coin, two sides. And Jesus is immediately welcoming us. This is his first opening sermon. He welcomes us. With a challenge. Who will you follow? Who will you trust? Me or your enslaving schemes? King Jesus or false kings that fail you time and time again? So he welcomes us with truth. He also welcomes us with grace. The welcome of Jesus is after all truth and grace. And so for that, let's turn to not Mark 1.14, but John 1.14. John's a few Gospels after Mark. If you're using a red Bible, you'll find our our passage on page 886. And verse 14 starts like this. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And then in verse 16, for from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. And so John tells us that Jesus is God in flesh, God dwelling among us, God really tabernacling among us. That word for dwelt is the same word group as the tabernacle. And so the presence of God is full on. If you, want to ask, if you want to ask the question, what is God like? The perfect answer to that question is it's, it's Jesus. God is like Jesus because God sent Jesus and because Jesus is God in the flesh. And he dwelt among us. And we have seen his, his glory, it says. And so if you've seen Jesus, you've seen glory, which is full, it says here, which is full, not just of truth, but truth and grace. It's full of grace, graciousness, and then also truthfulness. How God is true to his own character. God is true to his own holiness in Jesus and never ceases to be. So the welcome of Jesus is a challenge, it is truth, but it is also fundamentally gracious, it's grace upon grace, John says. When Jesus arrives, and as we read in his Gospels, and have been with us in Matthew, what we see him time and time again is extending mercy, extending grace. What God could have done is sent his son to eliminate us because of our sin. 
to bring condemnation so that Romans, the Romans uh, passage that we heard of, of, of affirming our, our, our place as not condemned, that that would not be true. Because Jesus came precisely to condemn. That, that is what we would expect. But instead, John says, no, when God sent his son, he sent his son in a posture of not just truth, but truth and grace. To save us, to rescue us when he could have condemned us. And so the welcome of Jesus is proof of God's affection towards us. Um, I'm reading the first of 17 novels by Alexander McCall Smith, the number one ladies detective agency. I'm very secure, and so I'm reading this. It's a very good book. I commend it to all of you. I really do. It's an amazing book. It tells. It really unfolds the story of um, a woman by the name of Precious Ramatswe, who is who has a detective agency in Botswana. And Precious was not raised by her mother, but her older cousin who was tragically left by her husband because she was barren. And when she was abandoned, family members let her stay in their house. But listen to their reason why. And I'm quoting. They had to take her in, of course. But it was duty rather than affection which opened their door to her. I think many of us think that God opens his door to us out of duty rather than affection. That God dutifully loves us. That God has to love us because of what Jesus did. Well, I guess. Well, I guess he loves us because of the cross. But man, if it weren't for that cross, he wouldn't love us. The truth is that Jesus came precisely because God loves us. Jesus was sent on mission precisely because God loves us. Because God, what is the Bible story, is on a rescue mission. The door of welcome from God is is Jesus himself. He is opening the door. Jesus is doing this not out of duty. But as a testimony of God's affection towards us. His grace, the welcome of Jesus is grace. It's undeserved. And this means the welcome of Jesus will always be an expression of God's affection towards you. So if we're going to be a church that extends the welcome of Jesus, then we are going to be a place that holds together truth or challenge and grace or mercy. If we lose the challenge of Jesus, we are not a church that has the welcome of Jesus. We might have a welcome of some kind, but it ain't Jesus' welcome. On the other hand, if we lose the grace of Jesus, we are not offering the welcome of Jesus. We're offering a welcome, for sure, but it is not the welcome of Jesus. The welcome of Jesus is not divorcing what God has married, which is truth and grace. And so how do we do that? Well, if we're going to be a church that extends the welcome of Jesus in truth and in grace, then we must Look at the cross. And we must constantly look at the cross. Because it's on the cross, as it's been said by others, we see God being gracious to us and true to himself at the same time. It's at the cross that we see grace and truth on fullest display. Grace and truth. 
This means, as one wrote, that God's grace is not a wishy-washy, unprincipled, sentimental grace, but a righteous, God-exalting, costly grace, which leads us straight to Jesus' death on the cross. Romans 3 tells us that at the cross, God is both just and justifier. He is both truth and grace. He is the most truthful about our sin on the cross. It requires a condemnation. But then he is also the most gracious to us on the cross. Because Jesus is condemned in our place. So we must be a people of the cross if we're going to extend the welcome of Jesus. I think we have a model for somebody who extends this grace and truth welcome of Jesus in the New Testament. And it's John the Baptist. It's John the Baptist. Because what is John the Baptist doing after all but welcoming, extending the welcome of Jesus to the people of God. The beginning of the New Testament. He says right away, I am not the Christ. I am not the point. He's extending the welcome, not of himself, but the welcome of Jesus. Russell Moore, he points out that John the Baptist has two messages. One is repent for the kingdom of the year, and the other is behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There's two words out of his mouth, and to him they're not contradictory. Repent and behold. Repent and behold. Truth and grace. This is the welcome of Jesus in two words. And I think it's helpful as you consider your mission, as you consider your welcoming others around in your neighbor and your families, if you're only welcoming others with only truth, if all you are saying in essence if the accent of your words and your actions is repent, 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 without behold, behold, behold. Then you're not extending the welcome of Jesus. Jesus, who is truth and grace, was always both, all the time. And he was especially gracious to those who were hurting, whose wicks were about to be extinguished. Whose stories, people knew their brokenness. And his truth flared out to those who were abusing their power. But if we are the welcome of Jesus, then we will do the same. We will err on grace to those who are suffering and mercy. But if, on the other hand, we're welcoming others with only grace, if we're only extending grace, but we're not also standing on truth, then we are not extending the welcome of Jesus either. Jesus is somehow both. New York Times syndicate columnist David Brooks interviewed John Stott before he passed away, who was a churchman in the Church of England. And he's written many books um, and just an amazing testimony uh, to the gospel. And he said, Mr. John Stott is like Mr. Rogers with a backbone of steel. That was his summary. And that was a compliment. Because Stott followed Jesus, his welcome had an edge to it. It had a backbone to it. Jesus was no pushover, neither was John Stott. Because hope is centered upon the good rule of Jesus, this church will also have a backbone. We will speak clearly about truth in God's word. And we will not see it as contradictory to Jesus' welcome, but part of his welcome. We are longing for what is really true. 
And so we will speak clearly and graciously, but clearly. And we will not be mealy-mouthed about the most important issues of our day. We will embody the challenge of Jesus on matters that matter. Matters like sexual ethics, matters like racism, not out of arrogance, but out of allegiance to the king. We know we're on the wrong path if all we are is truth and we are not grace. We know we are on the wrong path if all we are is grace and we do not have truth. We are not extending the welcome of Jesus in those cases. And in fact, the stronger we are in the challenge of Jesus, I believe the humbler we will become. If we really believe the gospel. (laughs) Because the challenge of Jesus is first towards us. We who know our rebellion. We who are first to admit our sin. And so we walk with a limp. Because the welcome of Jesus is truth as well as grace. So truth and grace. Truth and grace. That's the welcome of Jesus. When I swim, as I mentioned earlier, the only way I can stay true to course is if Jude or Josie, my wife, uh, kayaks right beside me. And sometimes they hit me with their paddle. And that's okay with me because they're staying close. And as long as when I'm breathing, as long as I see a little red blob to my right, as long as I look, I know I'm heading in the right direction. At every breath, I orient myself to that kayak. That's the cross for Hope Church. That's the grace and the truth of Jesus on full display for us now and forever. For us to stay the course, we will have to, at every breath, look to the cross. And to see our sin on that cross. And to see His grace to us at that cross. And then out of that... Out of what we have received from him there, we now extend to others. Every breath, friends. Every single breath. Or we will go over there. So what's your mission? It's to extend the welcome of Jesus. It's easy to remember. But the depths we are just beginning to dive into. May we be a church that extends the welcome of Jesus to everybody who walks in this door. And as we leave to everyone we encounter. May the fullness of truth and grace in Jesus' welcome permeate us as a community. And would we stay true?